This morning we are wrapping up our sermon series, Worship in Action. We've been looking at the basic pattern of worship and how we're inspired to, to live that out in the ways that we leave uh, when we leave this church. Um, next week we're going to be starting a new sermon series, Generations uh, in Genesis. We're going to be exploring the first family bloodline from Adam and Eve all the way to Joseph in Egypt. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but this morning we're concluding this series as we look at Jesus' Great Commission and how we and experience the, the benediction at the end of worship services and that calls us to go forth and to live out our call as disciples. Scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I want to invite you to stand as we hear God's Word this morning. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The end of Matthew's Gospel is full of action. It moves quickly. A lot happens in a very short amount of time. At the beginning of Matthew's final chapter, we see Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus travel early on Sunday morning to visit Jesus' tomb. Just before this, Jesus has been killed. He's been crucified on the cross. He's been buried. And so these women go in order to anoint his body for this burial. But when they arrive, there's a great earthquake an angel appears sitting on top of the stone that's been rolled away from Jesus' grave. And the angel delivers the news that Jesus is not there. Jesus is gone. Jesus has risen from the dead. And the angel tells the women to go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus is indeed alive. They thought Jesus had died. They thought that he was gone forever. But now they are given this news that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so the women are really the first to be commissioned to go and to share the good news, to talk about what has happened. And so a lot happens right there just at the beginning of this final chapter. But it doesn't end there. The women go and they do exactly what was asked of them to do. They rush to give the disciples this good news. But on their way, they are greeted by none other than Jesus himself. And Jesus appears to them and he gives them another message. Go and tell my brothers that I'm going into Galilee. They will see me there. And that leads us to our text this morning. Different gospels give us different details about how this happens. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus met the disciples first behind closed doors because they were in hiding. They were too scared to leave. And so Jesus goes to them first. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has this encounter with doubting Thomas. Maybe some of you have heard that story where Jesus proves that he is alive by showing Thomas the scars in his hand and in his side. But in Matthew's Gospel, we're told that the disciples simply leave for Galilee. There's no other encounter with Jesus prior to this. At this point, Judas Iscariot is gone, but the other eleven go and do exactly what Jesus had told them to do. 
they travel to Galilee and they go up on the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And I think it's interesting that these disciples make their way up to the mountain. All throughout Scripture, we see that mountaintops play a really important role throughout Scripture. Moses scaled Mount Sinai, where he met with God and received the Ten Commandments. Elijah took on the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Jesus faced his final temptation on top of a mountain. Uh, Jesus gave his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. It's on top of a mountain where Jesus is also transfigured, transformed in front of his disciples. So big things happen on top of mountains. And it's on this mountain in Galilee where the disciples see Jesus risen from the dead. And we're told that some of them worshipped. But there were others, despite seeing Jesus in the flesh right there in front of them, that doubted. That weren't fully convinced that, that this is really taking place. They had some doubts. They didn't really know what was going on there. And it seems like the disciples, or Jesus, could sense that these disciples had some doubts and reservations because the first thing that Jesus says to them is, hey, I've received authority on heaven and here on earth. Right then and there, Jesus lays down the law. He has the authority. He lets them know that he is in charge. Jesus has been given all the authority. And it's on this basis of authority that Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He tells them to get busy. This is commission. Is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. Go and do it. In this passage, Jesus kind of reminds me of a parent who is trying to force their uh, child to pay attention and to follow directions. How many of you um, has, have ever said as a parent or maybe heard as a kid something along the lines of, hey, you better do what I say. You better do it right now. You better clean your room. You better do this. You better do that because I brought you into this world and I can what? Take you out. You know, Jesus, I think, has a little bit of a parental tone in his voice when he says, Go and make disciples. Do it. I've been given the authority. Jesus is serious. And he knows that some of these disciples are doubting, but he, he doesn't try to argue with them. He doesn't try to convince them or prove himself here. Instead, he just gets down to business and he commissions them. Despite their fears, despite their anxieties, despite their doubts, Jesus is working still with these disciples. And I think that gives us hope that despite our fears, despite our doubts, and despite our anxieties, God is still willing to work with us. I don't know if you can remember this far back, but at the beginning of this sermon series, earlier in this month... We looked at how Jesus called the first disciples, these fishermen. And if you remember, he's walking along the, the shoreline and he calls out, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. And now, at the end of this series, we're looking at the Great Commission where we see Jesus telling those same disciples, all right, I've taught you how to fish for people. Now it's time to actually go out and do it. Grab your fishing pole. Get to work. I've taught you three years now. It's time for you to go out and do what I've taught you to do. Do this great commission. 
Go and make disciples. It's very similar to our mission as United Methodists, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our call to do God's work in this world. That's our mission. That's our mission as Christians, as people of God. But I wonder, does that really affect the way that we live our lives? How much do we really think about this commission? To go and make disciples. You know, is this mission something that drives us day in and day out? Is, is this even on our radar? How often do we think each week, okay, I'm going to live into my mission of making disciples. Do we really strive to do that work? The last thing Jesus tells his disciples do we really live that out? What I love about this commission is that it's open to everybody. Jesus says, don't just go tell the Jews, tell the Gentiles, tell the others, tell everyone, all nations, all people. Go and make disciples of all people. Reach out to the lost and the lonely, the hurting, the margins, people on the margins of society. And I think sometimes we get this backwards. Sometimes we, we want to wait for people to come to us. Uh, we ask questions like, how do we get more people in the church? How do we get more people here on, on Sunday mornings? And, you know, that's a good question to ask. I think we need to think about that and, and ask that of ourselves. But maybe we should also ask questions like, how can we get outside of this church and reach out to the people in this community? doing things like the backpack giveaway and the food pantry? How can we reach out to the community and not just expect people to come in, wander in on Sunday morning? How, how can we live into our part of this? Because we're called to go and make disciples, not stay and hope that disciples show up. And we do that by going out and sharing God's love. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip uh, to Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, I don't know that a lot of you hear about people going on mission trips to Prague all the time. Um, but uh, our Holstein Air Conference actually has a, a partnership with the churches over there. And uh, we help support them financially. We, we also supply a pastor at one of the churches, the English-speaking church there in Prague. And so I was really excited to go. I was really excited to, to learn more and find out more about um, the, the country and the Methodist churches there in Prague and in the Czech Republic. But as I uh, prepared for my trip, I was really surprised to learn that most of the people in the Czech Republic do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, only 29% of the population believes in the existence of God. 29%. So most of the country is atheist and agnostic. And so there's a, a really big need in the Czech Republic, and, and I'm really thankful that our conference has that relationship and is fostering uh, the churches over there. But on, on the first day in Prague, I was able to worship at the English-speaking United this church there. And the pastor at the time, John Redmond, and his family had come from Johnson City, Tennessee. And they had signed on for a three-year commitment. They had two young kids. And John's like, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, that's a picture of me and John there on the right. And... Um, he ended up just loving the time that he spent there. But he, he told me that before the Communist Party took over the Czech Republic, his church that he was a pastor at was the biggest Methodist church in the entire country. They had over 500 members, but it had dwindled down after communism had fallen. It had dwindled down to about 15 members. And then one night we were having dinner with John and one of his church members, Peter, 
And Peter said something very interesting, something I'll never forget. He said, we've had the Bible in our language since the 1300s. That's longer than your country, America, has even been around. But we've forgotten it. We've forgotten it. And in that conversation, I realized how important our work as Christians really is. I realized how important John's work really is. I realized that we're all called to share the good news, to share God's love, so that people don't forget. So that people don't forget that they are loved by God. And I believe that making disciples is best done through relationships. Through relationships. I, you know, I'm, I don't think it's really about having one conversation with somebody, making a quick pitch. I don't think it's about having one prayer with somebody. Um, I don't think it's about forcing somebody or pressuring somebody to make a faith decision. I don't think it's about trying to scare somebody and telling them they're going to hell. I think the best way to make disciples is through relationships. Disciples are best made not just by telling people about the good news, but also living your faith as an example out into the world. Disciples are best made through building and nurturing relationships. And I think Jesus backs this up. He tells his followers, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Teach them. We got teachers in here, right? Teach them. You don't teach for one day. You teach all year. You teach every year. And you go to the next grade, right? Teach them. Teach them what? The commands, the commandments that I have given you. And if we think about Jesus' greatest commandment, that's to love God with everything in you, your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is what it really comes down to for us as Christians. It comes down to loving God and loving your neighbor. It comes down to the way that we live out our faith each and every day. It comes down to loving God and loving one another. That's the best way that we can live out our role as disciples. And that's the best way that we can make new disciples. As the Reverend Adam Hamilton says, most people who choose to follow Jesus do so because of the positive witness of Christians through whom they experienced love and from whom they heard a compelling witness and example of what it means to be a Christian. And that is what Jesus calls us to do in his great commission when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is so fundamental to who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And I want you to notice that in that great commission, there's no talk of megachurches. In that Great Commission, there's no talk about what hymns or songs people should sing. There's no mention about what worship should look like. Instead, Jesus is essentially saying, show them and teach them about me the way that I have taught you. 
teach others. Have them walk beside you as you have walked beside me. Form friendships. Build relationships. Have conversations. Share experiences. Live in fellowship with one another. And as Christians, we should want to build those relationships. We should want to offer people Christ. Toward the end of his life, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, commissioned Thomas Koch to go to America and to ordain Francis Asbury as a superintendent. So Francis Asbury and Thomas Koch were essentially the first bishops in the Methodist church in America. But as Thomas Koch boarded his ship to go to America, John Wesley was standing there on the pier. And Thomas Koch looked back at John Wesley and he asked, Sir, what shall I offer them? And John Wesley responded, Offer them Christ, Thomas. Offer them Christ. And that was reported to be his final instruction to Thomas Koch as he said farewell to his mentor and his friend as he left for America. So my challenge to you this morning is to go out into the world and offer them Christ. Offer them Christ. Let us pray. God who moves before us, behind us, and beside us, through your risen Son, you have commanded us to go. But we have made ourselves comfortable in our churches and in our homes. You've commanded us to reach out to the world, but often we have limited that outreach to those who look like us, speak like us, live like us. As we worship this morning, remind us again that we are called to go out into the world. Help us to be more of a movement of hope and love and less an institution of rules and protection of the th way things have always been. We pray this in the name of the one who sends us, Jesus Christ. Amen.